Let's pray together. And from Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. And Lord, we praise you for the way that you have lifted us out in the past. And we look forward to the ways that you will, as you promise, lift us up out of the mire and set us on a rock and the rock that is you. And so we remember how you've delivered and we look forward to every way that you'll deliver us until the final day when you will deliver us into your everlasting arms. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You can take your seats. Amen, amen. Well, thanks, Pastor Nate and team. Uh, yeah, praise God. And uh, let me add my happy Mother's Day uh, to you mothers out there and, and to all you ladies. I, I've talked to a couple gals this morning, and I'm reminded this is a, a special day, uh, whether you have a biological child or not, because you have influence uh, over other people as uh, a spiritual uh, mother, perhaps. And so uh, praise God for you, ladies. Thanks for being here this morning, and I'm so glad uh, that you're here. My name is, is Andy. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to open God's Word with you this morning. Would you please turn with me in, in the book of Jonah? We're going to be at the end of Jonah chapter 1 on in through uh, the rest of chapter 2 this morning. Uh, so I wonder, anyone ever have a tussle with a computer? <laughs> Anybody, right? I mean, all of us. That's kind of part of the, the uh, 21st century experience, right? Uh, and, and, and I wonder, uh, not just a tussle, but maybe a knockdown, drag out fight. Like, you know, you want to take that thing and tuck it under your arm and drive to Chicago so you can climb up the Sears Tower and you can get up on top of that thing and, and hang it over the edge and chuck it down as hard as you can and watch it smash into a billion pieces. Anybody had that kind of a tussle with a computer, right? Those are, those are the kinds of realities that we deal with nowadays. Now, perhaps uh, you've been there, but just before you started uh, climbing those, those, uh, those steps up to the Sears Tower, you decide, you know what, at least you better give technical support a try, right? And, and, and so, uh, if, if that's going to help. <laughs> but, but you think, I better do this anyway. And so, uh, you, you call technical support, and you're beside yourself. You're mad at the world. And amazingly, these people are trained in psychology. They talk you down off the ledge. And what's the first question that they ask you? Ma'am, uh, sir, uh, when's the last time you rebooted your computer? <laughs> And you think, come on, right? I, I called you for support. I know all that. that, that I've tried everything. You're really going to ask me when the last time I, I rebooted my computer? No, no, seriously, sir. Uh, when's the last time you hit the restart button? Well, maybe it's been a few days. Maybe a few weeks. I don't know, a couple months, a year. I don't know. What's your point? What is that? Why does that matter? Well, uh, sometimes that'll actually do it. Why don't you give it a try? <laughs> they pay you for this? <laughs> And so begrudgingly, you, you hold down that power button for those requisite 10 seconds, right? It's excruciatingly long, but eventually that screen goes blank and, and the fan goes silent. And then all of a sudden, there, there's this faint flicker on the screen and the machine starts to come back to life. And once it does, your, your deep pessimism turns to a cautious optimism as you open up the same program that you had running but wouldn't work prior to uh, this reboot process. And you enter in, and before you know it, you're sure this silliness is going nowhere, but before you know it, right there before your eyes, the thing that previously wasn't working now is working flawlessly. 
And as you slap your head and think, oh man, for goodness sakes, of course that's what I needed, a reboot. After all that angst, all that pain, the only thing that was going to work for this machine was to shut it down, to, to bring it to the end in order that it could begin once again, in order that it could have a clean slate. <laughs> and church, it's that way in, in, in other parts of our lives too, isn't it? I, I mean, we, we, try to, we try to everything to, to manage ourselves, to get ahead, to fix our brokenness, our problems. But it seems the harder we try, the, the thicker our quagmire. Maybe some of you moms can relate, perhaps, right? Motherhood isn't for the faint of heart, is it? <laughs> or so I've heard. Right? And whether it's because of our personal sin or, or simply because of, of what's going on beyond our control, we come to the end of ourselves, and it suddenly dawns on us, in the words of the song Mary Poppins, that there's nowhere to go but up, right? Last week, we left our prophet Jonah, this prophet on the run, in a dire place. He, he was in an awful place. See, Jonah had been called by God to get up out of his seat, to go to Nineveh, and yet Jonah got up and he ran the other direction. He ran down to Joppa. He ran down into the hull of the ship. He went down into the sea, and things went from bad to worse for Jonah. Jonah thought that he could outrun God, that he could avoid God's calling. But God wouldn't let him go so easily. <laughs> and so he sent a great storm that, that was threatening to sh sink the ship. The, the, the ship itself threatened to break apart. The storm was so bad. And after determining that Jonah was the cause, remember they cast lots uh, to discern God's will, the sailors realized that their only hope for salvation from this awful storm was to pick Jonah up and to chuck him over the side of the boat such that they could be rid of him and appease this God who was causing this storm. And in this ironic twist, we, here we have these, these pluralistic, polytheistic, pagan sailors at the end of uh, Jonah chapter 1, making sacrifices and making vows to the one true God of the universe, to, to Yahweh. While Jonah, the, the prophet of Israel, uh, he, he sinks ever deeper down into the depths of the dark sea. And that's where we left it last week. And this is where we pick it up, when there's nowhere to go but up. Jonah 1.17, listen to this. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. <laughs> the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now, we're going to talk about the fish here in a minute. But first, notice the language of this opening sentence of our, our text for today. It says, The Lord appointed. See, Jonah has been doing everything he can to avoid the call of God. He's, he's running in the opposite direction. He's running from God's presence. But as we saw last week, God is not limited by our rebellion. Amen? And so God sends a storm to correct course for Jonah. And things don't look good. <laughs> things don't look good. And yet, yet here in such a powerful summary, we, we read that the same God who sent the storm uh, to Jonah to, to stop him in his tracks is also the one who appoints the fish. See, the Lord's direction, the Lord's sovereignty remains the, the, the primary driving force of this narrative. The Lord sends the storm, he hurls the storm, then he appoints the fish. Who's in charge? God's in charge. God's in charge. And church, here's the thing. When you're at the bottom of the sea, when there's nowhere to go but up, it's actually not a bad thing to get swallowed by a fish. <laughs> because yes, the Lord does judge sin. The Lord sends storms when we need them. But he also delights in saving us from them. He delights in saving us from them. Church, Jonah needed a reboot. And God chose a fish for just such a task. <laughs> now, uh, very briefly, we need to acknowledge something here before we continue. 
See, uh, critics often read the book of Jonah and they say, see, here's why we can't trust the scripture. There's no way that a man could fall into the sea, that a fish could snatch him up, and that man could survive for three days and three nights in that fish's belly. It's just not possible. It just won't work. And sometimes theologians get a little bit defensive and, and, and maybe get a little bit over science in trying to, to figure out a response. They, they try to figure out a, some sort of unlikely scenario whereby a person could actually survive in the belly of the fish. And, and I'm not a scientist, so I have no idea about any of that. But I'm convinced that the scientific answer is actually not the necessary answer. See, see my response to the critics is simply this. Of course it wouldn't work. Of course, a man would not survive for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish in the bottom of the sea, unless it's God who's keeping you there, (laughs) unless it's God who's keeping you there. Church, if you agree that God raised his son from the dead, do you agree with that? Praise God. If you you agree that Jesus could take people who who were previously blind and with a word from his mouth make them see, do you believe that? Church, if you believe that, that Jesus could tell a, a man who's lame all his life to just get up and walk, pick up his mat and go home, if you believe that, church, if you can believe that Jesus al- allowed for Jonah to spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and survive. See, if you believe in other miracles, then this miracle is no stretch. It, it doesn't need rational explanation, but by nature, miracles are inexplicable. Human rationality has nothing on the power of God. Hence, Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish because of God's intervention. And with that, we see who is clearly in control here, that God is the one orchestrating these events. But toward what end? What's he doing here? Well, for that, let's keep reading. See, God appoints this fish to swallow Jonah whole, and the screen goes blank, the reboot begins, and then the second part of verse 17, it says, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we, we don't know what it's like to hang out in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. I just saw on Instagram, I think this morning or yesterday, there was a catfish that swallowed a raccoon whole. It was ugly, right? I mean, being in the belly of a fish is not a pleasant sight. And, and regardless of what's going on specifically, I think it's safe to say that though Jonah could think and could pray in the belly, you can't get any lower than being in the belly of a fish in the depths of the sea. Okay? That's as low as you can get, uh, this, short of being in Hades itself, all right? Jonah had nowhere to go but up. Thus, his distress was legitimate. It was on display. And notice the chronology here uh, of Jonah's distress. He was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, very specifically. And see, for those in the ancient Near East, it took three days and three nights to descend into the underworld. This was was common understanding in the ancient Near East. The Old Testament often calls this the place of Sheol. And after three days and three nights, there was no hope of return. When you got to the place of the dead, to to the underworld, after three days and three nights, that's where you were. You were fixed. And the timeline makes clear here. Jonah was as good as dead. There was no hope apart from divine intervention. (laughs) And yet divine intervention happens to be God's specialty. Praise God. Watch this. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Friends, the belly of a fish is a pretty good place to do some deep thinking. (laughs) I mean, what else are you going to do, right? And for the first time in the whole narrative, it's Jonah who finally cries out to God. 
The, the sailors beat him to it, right? The, the sailors knew to pray uh, when the storm came, but Jonah finally catches up. He's, he's, he's in the lowest place he could possibly be, and he finally starts to learn, and he prays. He turns to God. Church, when you, when you live an antithetical life, when you live antithetical to God's design, sometimes the only place that God can get your attention is at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish. And see, sometimes God uses distress to teach us something, to get our attention. Because when there's nowhere to go but up, our otherwise self-infatuated gaze finally breaks. And, and we begin to search for our creator. We realize that there is something, someone beyond ourselves, beyond our own experience. And ironically, in that place of darkness, God clarifies, God enlightens for Jonah his chronic condition. See, Jonah had to come to terms with this reality. Jonah was not in control. Jonah thought he could run away. Jonah thought he could flee from the presence of the Lord and get away with it. Now he can't even move. I, I, again, I can't imagine what it was like for Jonah in the belly of that fish. Jonah's distress clarifies God's sovereignty, God's glory, God's limitless, his freedom, and for Jonah, his own limitations. Church, sometimes grace means that God brings us to the end of ourselves such that we realize that all of our efforts, all of our striving, all of our running apart from the grace of God are in vain, that only in Him can we find what we actually need. And Jonah comes, becomes aware of his situation, his predicament. He's in the belly of Sheol. He has no hope apart from God for deliverance. Now, by all practical purposes, this, this was the end. Uh, Jonah was done. Three days and three nights. Jonah's dead. Except notice the language here. See, when the fish is introduced in verse 17 of chapter 1, the Hebrew describes it in a masculine form. Okay, And the word in the Hebrew is dog, D-A-G. But in chapter 2, verse 1, the form changes uh, from what was once masculine to now feminine. And I think that's to make a point. Uh, the word now becomes daga. And why is that significant? Well, Notice again what Jonah says in, in uh, verses 1 and 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Out of the belly of this female fish, God, you heard me. <laughs> Friends, this is birthing language. The phrase in verse 2, out of my distress, is a word used to describe the pain of childbirth. It used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe the pain of childbirth. Jonah is likening the belly of Sheol to the belly of a woman, to the womb. And what happens in a woman's womb? Church, life is formed there. Life comes from the womb of a woman. God creates it. There, These precious little ones that we dedicated earlier, they were formed by God, Psalm 139. That was one of the verses we read, in their mother's wombs. Incidentally, let's be praying for our nation and our Supreme Court these days. Amen? No doubt, countless lives are at stake, church. That's, the womb is where God forms life. It's all throughout the biblical narrative. Church, Jonah was on the brink of death, and that's exactly where God wanted him to be. He was being fit for a reboot. God was preparing Jonah to be what? Reborn. <laughs> Remade. Renewed. But before that, the weight of his predicament settles in. Verse 3. 
For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. (laughs) Notice, whose waves? What does Jonah say? All your waves and your billows. Church, these are God's waves. These are God's billows. God is clearly in control. Jonah's finally awakening to that reality. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Jonah recognizes his condition. He's banished from the Lord's presence. That that same presence from which he was trying to flee now is, is banished him out into the depths of the sea. Jonah thought he could control it, but now it's on God's terms. Now, However, the, the, uh, the, the weight of his banishment presses down. However that works, the, the weight of God's glory presses on Jonah. I imagine like the pressure of the sea. And, and though Jonah realizes that he can no longer return to Jerusalem, he simply looks back in the other direction. And he looks up from his self-infatuation. And for the first time, we, we get the sense that rather than running from God's presence, Jonah now longs for it. And in verses 5 and 6, it says, The waters closed in over, over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. As Jonah looks back to Jerusalem, he realizes the weight of his choices, the weight of his sin, the weight of his inability to correct his own course the limitations that he has compared to the glory and sovereignty of God. Church, God used Jonah's distress to clarify his condition. Jonah was a mess. There wasn't a thing he could do about it. And God wanted Jonah to be aware. Friends, that's the first step in repenting of our sin, in repenting of our inability to save ourselves. To realize I'm a mess. I can do nothing about it. Praise God, that's not where he leaves us. That's not where he leaves us. God didn't leave Jonah there either. See, Jonah's distress not only clarified his condition, but then it provoked his contrition. His contrition, his brokenness. See, Jonah needed to be broken in the way that David was broken. Remember, David was this, was this wonderful king, a man after God's own heart, and yet his pride and his apathy got the best of him, and he made some really poor choices that cost so much for the kingdom. And yet after David came to realize the depths of his condition, after the Lord clarified his condition through the prophet Nathan, David was a broken man. David embraced his sin and his inability to save himself. And he wrote this in Psalm 51, 17. He said, the sacrifices of God aren't what I can offer as a king, aren't what I have as a leader, aren't my riches and my power and my wealth. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David got it. And church, without brokenness, we're prone to think like Jonah. We we think we can run and get away with it. We think we can flee from God's presence. We think that our self-righteousness somehow qualifies us differently than the broken people around us. And God says, no, (laughs) that's stinking thinking. That mentality is fatal. I need to correct that. And he does, not only for David, but also for Jonah. French philosopher and theologian Jacques Ellul uh, says, obviously, when when man has somewhere to turn, he doesn't pray to God, and and God doesn't come to him. As long as man can invent hopes and methods, he naturally suffers from the pretension that he can solve his own problem. (laughs) 
Church, the idea that we can solve our own problems, that's pretentious. We, we can solve some problems, but not the most important ones, not the ones that are most pressing. Ultimately, we need God. He says, when the sailors tried to save the ship by their nautical skill, Jonah slept. All, all these aids had to be shattered, all solutions blocked, and man's possibilities hopelessly outclassed by the power of the challenge to cause Jonah to return to God. And so Richard Phillips says, sometimes the very best thing that can happen to us is the very thing we most dread for the simple reason that it strips away our self-reliance. It humbles our pride and it removes from us every other hope save that of God. Sometimes this is what it takes for us to really pray. You know, I, I would venture to say that some of you ladies this morning, whether you're at home uh, listening online or whether you're here in the room, you're struggling. Because you, maybe because you want to have a child and the Lord hasn't yet given you one. Maybe you've lost a child. And you love seeing all these kids. The kids that were up front, the kids that were on the platform, you love it. But inside you're grieving. And you find yourself in the belly of the fish and it's tough. Others of you moms, you're grateful for your kids but you're overwhelmed. You're, you're overburdened, you're overstressed, uh, maybe over your capacity, maybe even over your morality, and you're tired of trying. And you know you keep missing at the most grievous levels. I'm here to tell you, take heart. Because perhaps God finally has you at the point where he's able to do the most, the, the work that, that is a rebirthing work, not only in you, but also through you. Watch what happens next here. And by the way, this message is for dads and, and any, everybody else as well. Verse 6, the last part of it. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Church, in, in chapter 1, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. But Jonah got up and he ran the other direction. The text is very clear and intentional. But Jonah did the opposite. But then remember in verse 4, the, the counter is this, but the Lord hurled a great storm. The Lord was not thwarted by Jonah's decision. God is not limited by our rebellion. But the Lord did what was necessary to cause Jonah to stop in his tracks. And now here God intervenes once again. Jonah says, I went down to the land whose bars closed down upon me forever. Yet you, says the text. It's the same Hebrew word. But you, but God once again intervened. Church, God turns Jonah's distress into his deliverance with a word from his mouth. Yes, fish are a big deal in the narrative of Jonah's story here, but God is a bigger deal. God's not limited even by a fish. God appoints the fish not to devour, but instead to defend Jonah from the crushing seas. Jonah was on the brink of death, but God delivered. It reminds me of another but God moment in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church, and he's teaching them about the grace of God. And in, in Romans chapter 5, there's this beautiful verse where he clarifies some of the work of the Lord in bringing salvation to a people that couldn't make it themselves. And it says in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> Yes, evil is, is, is evil. It's, it's hard, it's rampant, it's difficult these days, but never forget, but God 
wins. Here in Jonah, later in the New Testament, <laughs> and in the end, God wins. Church, God's deliverance demonstrates God's grace. It wasn't Jonah's righteousness that garnered God's attention. It wasn't his talent. It certainly wasn't his proclivity to, to follow the Lord's mission. <laughs> it was God's grace and in his grace alone. There is no sin that triumphs over God's grace. But God, but God delivers, but God demonstrates. <laughs> now look at verse 7. Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. It makes sense to me, church, that, that when Jonah realizes that, that he's not dead, I mean, can you imagine? He gets cast over the side of the ship. He's sinking into the sea. And all of a sudden, he doesn't even see it coming. He's engulfed by something. And he finds himself still alive after several minutes. He's shocked. He's dumbfounded. When he realizes that he's still breathing, albeit in a dark and unknown place, it makes sense to me that he recognizes God's grace and that he cries out with gratitude. He begins to pray to God. And remember, Jonah had faith in Yahweh. He knew what God was capable of. And so appropriately, he gives God thanks. But then verse 8, I find really fascinating. Look at this. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Where did that come from? What's this business about idolatry? Why is Jonah in the belly of a fish bringing up idols? What does that have to do with Jonah and his current situation? And here's my theory. <laughs> See, I think Jonah starts thinking about those sailors again. I think Jonah starts thinking about Nineveh, uh, those, those people who worshipped idols that were clearly forbidden by the God of Israel. And as he considers his situation, as he considers that he's still alive, I think part of Jonah thinks that God is somehow showing him special favor because, well, after all, at least he's not a Ninevite. <laughs> at least he's not a Phoenician sailor. At least he's not an idolater. And do you see the irony here? This book is full of irony all the way through. Jonah is the one who's been running from God. Jonah is, is the one who God has brought to utter disaster, to the brink of death. But here, after all that's happened, all Jonah can think is, well, at least I'm not one of those people. <laughs> James Bruckner art articulates the tension. He says, tension is created by the abrupt reference to idolatry from a man with kelp wrapped around his head. <laughs> Hard to take a guy like that seriously, right? Yes, Jonah is truly grateful for his deliverance and promises to complete the public service of thanksgiving in the temple. He expresses it, however, by contrasting himself to idolaters. Church, this is a beautiful psalm. And it's written by a prophet who experienced God's grace under totally unique circumstances. And yet, there's part of Jonah that remains in this entitled form. He doesn't quite get it. And see, God's deliverance of Jonah here defies Jonah's sense of entitlement. It defies that sense of entitlement. We're left scratching our heads. Jonah, how can one so forgiven, how, how, how can one who's experienced the miraculous grace of God remain so obtuse when it comes to others who are equally in need of God's grace? Again, Bruckner says the tension represents the honest struggle and even confusion of a person who has not resolved the incongruities of living in changing and challenging times. Jonah's song is true praise with a hint of protest. <laughs> I love that phrase. 
Did you come to church this morning with true praise, but with a hint of protest? Just a little bit dabbled here and there. God, I believe you. I know you're the one true God. I know I need Jesus, but come on, God. Did it have to come to this? Does it have to hurt so much? At least I'm not like those people. I mean, give me some extra credit here, huh, God? It's not fair. Why, why does her life seem so put together when my life feels like such a mess? Why does he get the good job when I'm sitting over here with a job that I hate? Why does this work like this, God? Sometimes we come to church, we come to worship with true praise, but a hint of protest. Jonah came to God that way. And church, we'll see where that leaves him soon enough. <laughs> but for now, look at verse 9. It says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, church, Jonah does recognize that God's deliverance demands his response. And so ironically, it's the prophet who follows the lead of the sailors. He, he too, like the sailors, makes a sacrifice with the only thing that is his disposal. <laughs> All he can do, the only thing that he can sacrifice is his praise. He gives thanksgiving to God. And he too makes a vow to the Lord. He's going to obey, albeit with a poor attitude. He'll go to Nineveh. We'll see. And then finally, verse 10. It says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Even the fish had enough of Jonah's poor attitude, all right? <laughs> and under God's divine authority, this fish pukes the pouting prophet out of her, out of her gullet. And he ends up on dry land. What a sight, huh? <laughs> what do we learn from Jonah here in chapter 2? How might our response be the same or, or different? A few thoughts. Church, the more we try to fix our own problems, the more trouble we create. The, the more our computers get bogged down, the more we're left with only one choice. We can either reboot or we can recess into the depths of Sheol. Church, God invites us to reboot, but he's got to be the one to hit the power switch. He's got to be the one. Jonah clearly still had a ways to go, but he was willing to allow himself to get down, to get down, to, to be thrown into the depths of the sea, to admit that he was the source of the problem, that he was the reason that God sent the storm. Friend, are, are you willing to do the same? Are you, are, you, are you willing to admit your sin this morning? Are you, are you willing to call a spade a spade and to say, God, yes, I know that my choices have led me to flee from your presence. I've been running hard, God. And sure, on the outside, I'm, I'm showing up to church. I'm going to growth group. I'm going through the motions. But in my heart, I've actually been running the other direction. And it's time to stop. I need to get down. Before I go up, I need to get down, to hunker down in the belly of this fish for a while and to stop running and to start listening and to start praying. First step is to get down, friends. But then, like Jonah, are, are you willing to, to, to sacrifice, to, to recognize the source of your salvation? Are you willing to give thanks, not only to get down, but, but, but to start looking back up, to give thanks to the God who has saved you, to say to God, Lord, I can't do it anymore, but what you offer is what I need. And ultimately, I, like Jonah, need to be reborn. I need a reboot. Bring me back from the belly of Sheol, from death to life. I'm down, 
But I need you to lift me up. And in that, I give thanks for what you and you alone can provide. Jesus would say in Matthew 12, 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Friend, God provided everything you need to rise up with him out of the belly of the fish, to rise up with him out of the grave. Jesus got up out of the grave. And when you put your faith in him, he brings you with him. Will you give thanks for Jesus today? And then finally, when your response is to get down and to give thanks, then it's time to get ready. Time to get ready for what God is going to do in your life, to get ready for the reboot. Church, when there's nowhere to go but up and we're willing to admit it, it's time to get ready to become fish puke. I said it. Time to go to Nineveh. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jonah's example. <laughs> thank you that you are relentless in exercising both your glory and your grace. And you were not willing to allow Jonah to experience your grace without reckoning with your glory. And as Jonah spent those three days and those three nights, he had opportunity to think and to pray like few of us will ever have. And Lord, as he was vomited out by that fish onto the dry land, when he was in that state of brokenness, he had every opportunity to allow his heart to become soft and broken before you such that he would never be the same. And yet, Lord, there's still danger. And so God, as we're here now, Perhaps many of us have given our faith, our lives to you. We've put our trust in the, the saving work of Jesus. And yet, God, we're, we're holding back. And yet, God, we're, we're, we're still struggling. And yet, we're, we're, we're wondering, uh, God, why them? Why not us? God, would you do whatever is necessary in each one of us, moms, dads, students, children, singles, uh, grandmas, grandpas, widows, widowers, wherever we find ourselves, would you do whatever's necessary in us to get down and then to give thanks and then to get ready? Because God, we long for you to work. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Church, when you've been in the belly of a fish, you got a story to tell. <laughs> And if we're in Christ, all of us have come from death to life. All of us have been there. And so our privilege, our responsibility is to go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and to represent Jesus to a world that needs to know, hey, there's life beyond the belly of the fish. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Lord willing, we'll see you again soon.